Hello and welcome to another episode of the Global Sports Conversation Podcast. My name is Itura Basi and I'm co-hosting this with Fibiana. Today, our guest is Andrew Hunter, a former professional volleyball player. He managed Port Adelaide Football Club. He is the author of the text from Port Adelaide to Shanghai. Currently, he serves as the strategic advisor at Minjiro Foundation. You're welcome, Andrew. Lovely to be with you both this morning. So first, we would like to know what sports diplomacy means to you. Well, for me, if you look on a technical level, sports diplomacy is the use of sport for government-to-government relations. Um, but I think I think in reality now, we can take a, a slightly broader perspective. Uh, if you look at what Port Adelaide Football Club did, for example, it really was something that was done in collaboration uh, with uh, Australia, the Australian government, and that brought in other governments, in this case, China. So I think usefully we can broaden uh, a quite a narrow technical understanding of sports diplomacy. I don't think it's just things that are driven uh, by governments, but for it to be uh, diplomacy in a pure sense, then the implication of government-to-government relations, I think, is uh, is important. Oh, awesome. So uh, we are aware that you have a history of being involved in China-Australia sports relations. Would you want to shed some light on your experience so far? Sure. Well, it's a, it's a mixed experience in the sense that I, since I was a, a young boy, was always interested in the world outside of Australia and particularly uh, Asia. I had, uh, I guess, a lived experience in some ways because I was formerly a professional athlete. I actually played my first international match for the Australian volleyball team against China in Beijing. And then I had the great pleasure of watching my wife compete in the Beijing Olympics uh, as a swimmer. So it was a very personal experience in terms of sports relations between Australia and China. But it was also, I guess, someone who's interested in politics and understanding, I guess, the genesis of the Australia-China or the relationship between Australia and the People's Republic of China. There were also there was a level of uh, sports diplomacy in that as well. Before uh, Gough Whitlam, who was the leader of the opposition at the time in 1971, visited China. It was actually encouraged by the fact the Australian ping pong team had uh, visited, was invited to visit Beijing months before that, earlier in 1971. And the reception that they took, I think, was an encouragement for, for Gough Whitlam as leader of the opposition to visit China. He won government a year later and normalised relationships and recognised uh, Beijing and the People's Republic of China. So sports diplomacy had always played a role in the Australia-China relationship. And that's uh, that's something I'd always taken a keen interest in. So I guess uh, moving towards my professional career, I, I worked for a time for the Premier of South Australia. Uh, we had three important engagement strategies, uh, one with India, one with Southeast Asia, and one with China. So I had carriage within the Premier's office for that relationship. And then ultimately went to work at Port Adelaide Football Club, which had this idea of, of engaging with China. It was uh, seen to be innovative thinking, uh, to be generous at the time when it was first announced. A lot of people in Australia mocked the idea of an Australian football team, and given that our sport was only really played in Australia, of uh, engaging in China and finding some sort of mutual benefit from that. But then I spent five, I guess, beautiful years chasing this, this dream, uh, and it was a fascinating experience along the way. That's awesome. Thank you very much for sharing your experience. So how do you foresee China-Australian relations after the COVID dies down or at post-COVID? Yeah, so it's a, it's a very tricky stage at the moment. I think in Australia at the moment, there is... Uh, 
a healthy debate on the Australia-China relationship, but it's also quite polarizing. So if you look back at when Port Adelaide first announced that it had an intention of playing game and engaging in China in 2014, uh, the Australia-China relationship was favorably viewed. It was an important relationship for a particularly economic relationship. But on top of that, there were other other channels that were being built and had been cultivated, I guess, since the, since the 1970s, since that initial recognition of the People's Republic of China. So for example, we, we had at the time and and, and still now, Australian study centres in China, there are 36 of them that were um, promoting, promulgating Australian literature. So there were, there was, I think, an omnidirectional and multifaceted sort of foreign policy that was being cultivated at that time, which led us to 2014, where our economy became quite reliant on trade with China, investment slightly less so, but particularly in terms of trade. But from there, we went through I mean, a series of, of missteps, I think, in the, in the bilateral. Um, the geostrategic environment was changing. China was changing. Uh, to some extent, Australia was changing as well. So the last five years has been, I think, a period of ongoing deterioration in the Australia-China relationship, which has brought us to this point today where the relationship really isn't in a very good position. My basic thesis is that no matter what you think of some of the problematic aspects of the Australia-China relationship, engagement is always better than not engaging. Uh, there is very little you can influence in country or in uh, the regional environment if you disengage. And sport is one of the important channels of engagement. And I think particularly uh, given my experience over the last five years at Port Adelaide, sport provides a really important soft platform for engagement. So notwithstanding periods of deep freeze in the government-to-government relationship, we'd, we'd found on a regular basis that what we were trying to set up in China had been a platform uh, which provided governments and businesses the opportunity to come together in uh, in a situation that was um, unthreatening, a situation that was broadly positive, and so we provided, I think, some of the some of the lighter moments during that period of deterioration. Now, post COVID, I think there will be a stage where Australia will want to take the step of of engaging on a more positive level, and I think the platforms that we'd set up um, beforehand at Port Adelaide, I think, could be replicated, and I think sport will be one avenue hopefully of many, through which we can continue the relationship on some level, notwithstanding some of the obvious differences in approach and attitude to certain uh, important issues. That's really interesting. So I thought it was really interesting about your experience at Port Adelaide. And I just wanted to commend you for taking that risk because, as you know, um, Australia's culture being a Western country, China being a part of like CPP is like complete polar opposites. And you did it at a time where it wasn't necessarily like popular or fashionable. So could you share any unique cultural challenges you I mean, sorry, encounters between China and Australia? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Fabiana. Um, one of the things that made uh, what we're trying to do challenging, but also made the journey extremely interesting is that the worldviews of, of the Australian and, and Chinese people, if we were to take a, you know, a broad generalization, are fundamentally formed in different uh, historic, cultural, um, political, uh, linguistic uh, contexts. So uh, it was very, seeing a lot of Australians go to China and seeing some of my colleagues go to China, it was absolutely critical in this in this uh, environment to not try and use what is done in Australia or what is done in other Western countries as, as a reference point because the attitudes, the approaches are so fundamentally different. That's not to say one is better or worse. That is to say they are completely different. So using your own experience as a reference point, I think, is, is particularly unhelpful. So as much as possible, we try to go to China with with an intercultural mind, with a blank canvas, not trying to use our own personal experience as a reference point and really understanding the other perspective. I guess 
in China particularly, but you, we talk a lot about this idea of, of win-win situations of, of mutual benefit. It's very hard to actually see the opportunity for mutual benefit if you're if you're grounded in your own cultural perspective. So to to take this sort of intercultural approach to our work, I think was was extremely important in a in a country so so different as China. And in Australia, I guess some of the important relationships that we will have. Uh, going forward, I mean, the United States will remain uh, a fundamentally important relationship to us, and the United States is an ally of Australia's. But the big relationships that are emerging for us, India, Indonesia, uh, as well as an ongoing relationship with, with China and Japan, all of these countries have got very different uh, worldviews than, uh, I guess, the mainstream Australian worldview. We're a, we're a country of, of migrants, so there is a large, uh, a large proportion of our population, a reasonable proportion of our population are Australians of Chinese heritage and Indian heritage. Um, so we, we can use those, uh, I guess, networks and those experiences of, of Australians well. But fundamentally, we need to approach our region and the important relationships in our region from a position, I think, of, of cultural humility and with an intercultural mind. Because if we keep using our own worldview as a reference point, relationships with India, Indonesia, China and Japan are not perhaps going to reach the, their potential. Um, thank you so much for that detailed response. Um, I totally agree, especially given the distance between Australia and Indonesia is very close, despite yes. a difference in culture. I also discovered some previous documentaries about rising tensions in a lot of Chinese nationals attending like Australian universities, like Australia National, Australian, Australian National University, yeah, ANU. Yeah, and a lot of, it's a lot of tension. Like people are complaining that a lot of Chinese nationals are quote unquote allegedly like taking over the campus, like they're losing their culture. So so what made you depart from your position as general manager from Port Adelaide Football Club? And will you ever return in a more observatory role? Yeah, I mean, to return to your your first uh, statement, and I think the international education question is is a really important one. Somebody who was briefly a, an international student, I studied and I wrote my honours thesis at the International University of Japan, international relations uh, school there, and you know that was a really important and beautiful moment in my life. Um, attending a small university at the foot of the Japanese Alps, and it was really an important time to to form, I guess, a, a perspective of the world and of Australia's place in it. So I think the international education Education and educational exchanges on, on all levels are, are really important, and, and another really important arm of foreign policy of international relations that we need to we need to encourage and we need to use well. So it becomes really difficult, problematic if we start losing trust in in this function of uh, of exchange. If we lose trust in the international students that are coming here, thinking that they might be manipulated by their home governments, I think that is something that needs to be needs to be addressed. We don't want to be naive to. To the certain the, the nature of the way that some countries may go about influencing domestic politics, but we shouldn't also be blind to the fact that this isn't uh, something that uh, China is necessarily alone in doing. I mean, there is there is penetration into our domestic um, politics from a range of range of countries. There are consistently um, you know paid visits for young parliamentarians to go to the United States, for example, to Israel and to other countries. So we need to be aware of the implications of that and and be honest about you know the reality is. We're trying to form partnerships that and relationships that could be positive, that could uh, help 
debate about the uh, the conduct of uh, international relations in the future. But there also is, if we're to be honest, there is an added uh, motivation to to make sure that in in Australia's case, that Australian parliamentarians are amenable to the worldview and to the national interests of the other country. So, I mean, I, I think we just need to be uh, not hypocritical, and we need to be consistent in, in our approach. We need to protect our national interests and make sure that international education is is done for the right reasons and is conducted in a way that is is positive and brings benefit to the student as well as to the to the home students who who naturally will as part of their education benefit from those exchanges with foreign students coming to Australia. So I think it is a fundamentally positive thing, but we need to be, I think, balanced and consistent, uh, not hypocritical in, in our approach to these things. In terms of uh, whether or not a return to, to Port Adelaide or in an observatory way, and I think the experience at Port Adelaide and the fact that our family, I mean, we lived uh, we lived five minutes walk from from the training centre. We lived right in the in the Port Adelaide community. So the football club there, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Australian sport, but sport plays a pretty important role in our in our society. And certainly, Port Adelaide Football Club was was uh, a pillar of, of our local community. So it's not uh, that. That sort of experience seeps deep into the marrow of your bones. It's it's very hard to get out. So, um, part of me will always be be with the team, uh, and I'll continue to to hope the best for for the club, and also hope that the club continues to see sport as an opportunity to um, to achieve broader broader objectives. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I don't think anyone, as much as I love sport, I'm sure you love your sports as well. No one seriously pretends that kicking a piece of leather around a very large field uh, is is the end game with these things. There is there is a spiritual and community sort of level which sport creates uh, takes on a greater importance. So I, I, my sincerest hope is the club continues to pursue that agenda of, of making its community proud and and leveraging the the fantastic opportunity it has as being. A, a pillar of the local community to achieve good things both on and off field. Oh, thank you. I totally agree with that response. And I totally agree with your response about international education. I personally studied abroad for six months during undergrad in Beijing, China. So it was complete opposite at Tsinghua University. And yeah, it's quite a different culture. But I think I agree with your sentiments about sports diplomacy, um, bringing different people of different cultural cultural backgrounds all together. So if, it, so if you look at your, your particular experience at Tsinghua University, I mean, as you would know, it works both ways. So you're getting experience of Chinese culture, but I'm sure that the Chinese people that will be that would have a certain uh, view uh, of the United States, for example, um, their view would have been changed by receiving sort of incoming incoming students or or any other country, whether it be the United States or elsewhere. So I think these things are, are fundamentally positive um, and should be considered in that way and encouraged as as best we can. I think it's amazing that you are very involved and very passionate about cultures linking together, regardless of the borders or regardless of differences. And this brings to mind something I saw. I remember reading about you conversing for the deepening of French-Australian relations. And I remember I heard you speak impeccable French. And Language is a very important very generous. culture. So, yes, could you shed more light on your experience conversing for a deeper French Australian sports relationship? Sure. I mean, that's, that's uh, very generous of you. Thank you. I uh, always wanted to, to learn French since a young age, but I found it was um, 
frankly, one of the harder languages to learn. I had the advantage of living there for a long time, but as opposed to uh, Italian, for example, which came um, to me very, very easily and left very quickly after I'd ceased to live there, uh, French was a lot more complicated, but I was, I was determined to make an effort. You know, I played, I played volleyball for AS Cannes, which is one of the famous clubs uh, in France. And uh, because of my, my personal situation, I, I did. I was based in France in Nice uh, for quite a long time, and and developed a great a great love of France that uh, that hasn't left me. It's slightly more complicated in Australia in terms of uh, an ongoing relationship with a country like France because there are not a large number of uh, French people or Australians of French heritage that are that are in Australia. So it's um, unlike Chinese or Italian. You can't. Uh, you know, it's harder to find people with whom you can converse in their in their mother tongue. But I thought for South Australia, particularly when I was living in in South Australia, it had a, a good advantage and a good opportunity to do more things with France because uh, South Australia was the the centre of of the construction of, of our uh, submarines, and we were working with uh, Naval Group or Naval Group to to do that. So immediately, because of that business or commercial exchange, there was an opportunity to cultivate deeper relationships with France, and France became at the time probably South Australia's fourth most important. Uh, country in terms of in terms of its international engagement and outreach. So you know, having that had that experience of France, I was at the time and the state government's advisory council for South Australia uh, France engagement. So once again, it gave me the opportunity, I guess, based on some personal experiences, to encourage people to think about a multifaceted sort of approach to these relationships, to not ignore uh, education exchange, cultural exchange, uh, and sporting exchange as part of a broader suite. Not just for the sake of it, not just because I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do and enriching on a human level, but because developing a better understanding, I think, of, of another country through sport, through culture, through literature, um, does make it easier to, to do business, does make it easier to, to conduct diplomacy because it's based on, a, I guess, a, a deeper a deeper understanding and a, and a fundamentally human experience. So um, again, I was prosecuting similar arguments. I wouldn't ever try and replicate one thing from one country to another, but I think fundamentally my, uh, my belief is that exchanges on a human level through areas of, of mutual passion and interest are important, they're enriching, and they, uh, they're certainly helpful and useful for um, business um, security relationships and diplomatic relationships. That's absolutely amazing. I, I know language is a very important, very, very important part of communication anywhere in the world. Did you have any cultural challenge with, um, or so far have you had any cultural challenge regarding sports diplomacy, China, in Japan, or wherever you've been? There are always uh, I think challenges when you're operating in a in a different in environment, different uh, cultural environment. In China's case, a different political environment. There, uh, like you know, Australians have to I think be um, be disciplined in uh, in not using Australia as a reference point when exchanging with other countries. I mean, similarly, we we feel the same thing um, coming back the other way. So there are a lot of assumptions made from the Chinese side uh, about Australia. Um, so there is that uh, that natural uh, challenge, occasionally tension between trying to to exchange with people that are coming to 
the relationship with it with a very different perspective. That's part of the beauty of what we're doing. And I think the, the thing that I found with, with our experience is when you saw those subtle shifts in people's approaches to Australia, when we were able to perhaps uh, tell a more positive story uh, and not to say that, you know, this is all about understanding for me. It's not all about promotion of, you know, our beautiful story about Australia. Australia is a country with, uh, I think, many beautiful aspects, but also many problems. And I think we have to be honest uh, honest about that. If we're to be true to our, our idea of developing a better understanding between people, we have to come to it with that cultural humility that, uh, you know, we think we have a great country, but we think we have an unfinished story as well. And we think we have things that we need to improve. So developing that understanding is one of the, one of the challenges. And, you, and we could often feel that people on the other side didn't quite understand our approach, didn't quite understand our, our politics. I remember one conversation with, you know, in a very, uh, with some very well-informed, very intelligent, very successful people. And they were absolutely amazed that in Australia, we had a government and an opposition, both whom spoke on different subjects and debated different topics in the media. And for, for one person, it was, he found it impossible to understand how a government would let somebody else criticize and contradict them openly through the media, which I, I guess speaks to, you know, very different approaches in, in the in two countries. And frankly, as an advocate for the democracy, I think, you know, it was, it was an interesting, it's an interesting conflict conversation to watch but there were also times that through our sport people were um, pleasantly surprised sorry by by Australia by the approach that our fans took when we when we went to game the positive atmosphere that there were at the games so we hope that the use of sport also did did put Australia in a, in a positive light and and shape um, some more positive images of Australia, the Chinese people. Thank you very much for uh, shedding light on that. Diana, do you have any more questions? Any favourite sports teams, both international and domestic? Yeah, I mean, obviously Port Adelaide Football Club will remain very close to my heart. But just before I left Port Adelaide, actually, I had an opportunity to travel to the United States and it was the first time that I that I had been there. I had some professional development opportunity through the agreement that I had with Port Adelaide and I spent uh, a week with the Washington Wizards, which was uh, a lot of fun. So I um, I watched a, a couple of games. They won both of them, but also to get to see their organization and um, how they, they went about the business side. But to stay and spend that time in Washington was was extraordinary, and I still I still have them on my Twitter feed, and I'm still watching watching the games. Whilst not uh, not really understanding basketball, I, I certainly appreciated a deep respect for the the athleticism of the players, and and that week was that was an extremely memorable week for me, which is, again is another example of how how sport can you know open up the minds of somebody who was quite ignorant to American culture and society, and allow for I guess a, a deeper understanding. Globally, I'm a, a bit of a cricket fan, so I won't I won't bore you too much with that. Cricket is another sport that's um, deeply rooted, I think, in Australian society. But uh, I think, to be honest, as a as a father of two children, I don't have too much time to follow global sport anymore. I uh, I tend to pick to uh, stick to our our local sports that are that are popular in Australia. As a someone who follows sports diplomacy closely, any story where sport is used positively to to uh, increase the engagement between peoples of different different nations and different cultures, I'm entirely supportive of. I was going to say, I'm still uh, on a very personal level. I still follow AS Khan uh, volleyball at, a, at a, a, a great moment there. The, the coach that we had at the time is now the coach of the French national team, so I still follow uh, French sport sort of as a as a secondary interest to our own 
sort of local and uh, local games in Australia. Oh, that's awesome. I like I like the fact that you're really broad. Your arms are really stretched wide. So that's that's an amazing should I call it a skill? Yes. It's admirable. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So what inspired you to write the book from Port Adelaide to Shanghai? Well I think initially there was a discussion with the publisher about a, a broader book about sports diplomacy, but uh, I guess there were two reasons to not sort of pursue that 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 narrow interest firstly I, you know there are people particularly in Australia and elsewhere that are that are better placed to talk on the subject but also the more I spoke to the publisher about the book the more evident it became that Port Adelaide as a case study was probably more interesting and a better focus for a book. Um, initially, the discussion took place in 2017, and and I wasn't sure after those first two heady years whether or not I would stay in, stay in that position. So when I decided ultimately to stay at Port Adelaide, I didn't think it was appropriate to write that book whilst I was an employee of the club. There are certain things, you know, when you, in that sort of position, if I was to write a book in that context, then my impulse would have been to to paint a uniquely positive view of what we're doing. Thus, it would become more or less propaganda. So I didn't want to take that path. And as soon as as soon as I decided to move on from Port Adelaide and, and our family decided to move to Perth, we had the conversation with the publisher again and I thought the timing was right because uh, for that for that reason, I could give a more honest account of what happened. But secondly, um, from the, the early stage from 2015 until 2017, what we achieved was, was I think, extraordinary and it was a uniquely positive story. Whereas from 2017, 2018, we had some some... Uh, really difficult moments. The relationship further deteriorated. And whilst we achieved some great things at the end of my time, 2019, 20, I thought it told a, a fuller story uh, of what had happened. It made me, I guess, account for the things that were good and bad, for the things that were achieved, but also the challenges we faced. To admit to a few mistakes along the way, uh, what we did you know, wasn't perfect. Not all of the thinking was, was perfect. So I think that five-year period um, and leading into uh, 2020, which was the 150th anniversary of Port Adelaide Football Club, I think it was a really nice moment to, to bring it out. But there were some things that weren't widely reported in, in the media during the time. There was a lot of, I guess, fluff about how we spoke about what we were doing. So I thought writing a full account of um, some of the experience behind the scenes and some of the thinking that led to the moments that people saw, I think, was was worthwhile. And hopefully it can be used for other people in other countries if they're considering sport as a way of bringing people together or considering sport as a way of uh, an ancillary tool to diplomacy or to, to business interactions, then hopefully it will inspire them to, to consider it favorably. Because um, I think sport can play a, a fantastic and, and fuller role in, in the conduct of uh, international relations, whether that be from government to government, um, business to business, or people to people. That's that's interesting, and um, it's 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 let me say amazing that you were very conscious of time. You thought there was an appropriate time to do this, and you knew that as regards sports diplomacy and your time at Port Adelaide, you had to give a proper detailed account. So that's that's great. So now that you are at Zero Foundation, what's your most fulfilling moment? Yeah, so I've been at Mindere Foundation for over a year now. It's, um, it's a different environment to move into a, a you know a philanthropic endeavor. Although, frankly speaking, Mindere Foundation is a well-endowed 
uh, philanthropy, so it gives opportunities to, to explore certain areas fully. Um, the most uh, wonderful thing that I have the privilege to be part of at the moment is uh, our work in early childhood development, the, the zero to five years and its importance to brain development. So uh, in Australia, as, as elsewhere, policies and investments surrounding that area, we don't think reflect the importance and, and our growing understanding of, of how the first five years affects a person's lifelong trajectory, and particularly the brain development that takes place in that in that time. So that is a, that is a wonderful thing to be part of it's something I believe in very deeply as someone who it still takes an active interest in in politics for me it's a it's a contribution that we could potentially make in Australia to shift understanding as to the importance of these years because it, it's so important to the, an individual's trajectory but also to our national trajectory and it also has a, an international orientation so our uh, our chairman who's uh, also uh, the, the chair of Fortescue Medals. So he's he's traveling the world and speaking to heads of state and uh, advocating as well as uh, in his commercial interests. But he always talks about what we're doing philanthropically. And, and so we are now engaging with more and more countries about, uh, you know, how can we work together to, to enhance early childhood development around the world. So it's a, it's very different to, to the sporting world, but it's something that I, that I believe in strongly and I'm very privileged to have this opportunity to work in this area. Again, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a right hand turn. So life's taken a very different course, I guess. But uh, again, it uh, it ticks a lot of boxes. I, I love engaging with people from different countries. I love the the challenge of, of adopting that intercultural mind. Parenting and raising children uh, are deeply culturally embedded. So you need to be whilst the, the science may be around brain development may be universal, the approaches are, are always going to be different as they should be because the diversity in, the, in our world is something I think we should we should cherish and uh, and hold on to. But you know the work that we're doing I see is, is important. And yeah, I feel very privileged to, to be in this position. It's great that you are enjoying what you're doing and that you're contributing to international and community development. You're expanding and deploying your resources. That's that's very inspiring. Now I'm very I'm very fortunate as well. So I shouldn't shy away from the fact that um, that I've been very blessed and. Uh, yeah, at the moment I have this privilege of being able to do things that I that I love for work, just something I'll never I'll never take for granted, and may not last forever. Who knows? So that means you're open to whatever comes or whatever happens in the nearest future. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to attend this interview, and we sincerely apologize for waking you up early at nine a.m. on Saturday morning. I'm not sure how much you know about Western Australia, but I will leave this last piece of uh, piece of uh, sharing of, of knowledge with you. And we don't have daylight savings in Western Australia, so the sun comes up at about four thirty in the morning, which means my dog gets up at four thirty in the morning. My kids get up at about five in the morning, so nine o'clock is a very reasonable hour for an interview. <laughs> Gives me a nice break, actually. So. It's only during summer and during winter it goes back to uh, some form of normalcy. So can I say for my part, thank you very much both for um, for the interview. Thank you for following your passions and an increasing understanding of, of the, you know, the intersection between sport and diplomacy. It's it's really important. I appreciated your time and your generosity of the questions that you asked. And let's keep working together and see if we can um, bring people together through sport. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you.